It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Carly Shimkus is going to join me at the bottom of the hour, put all the breaking news in perspective. A lot going on. Ukraine has spoken out after the president's ridiculous remarks yesterday about uh, basically predicting a Russian incursion into that country. Uh, So I'll bring you that breaking news and try to put everything else in perspective. We know today uh, Secretary of State Blinken will hold a joint press conference with the German foreign minister. Germans are the problem. Said that before. But Germans are the new problem. Uh, Their whole... Nord Stream 2 pipeline, the fact that they're not willing to put that on the line, that we might have to force them to shut it down before it starts, uh, before you get on the Russian natural gas crack pipe. Uh, I'll look forward to that and see how strong our remarks they make. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. But we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. Government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere and no longer criminalize anyone who chooses not to wear one. Wow. I I wish we could get a good scandal here and force a prime minister to make all types of concessions, but I'd love to hear that no matter how we hear it. The UK shows us the way. They're dropping all mandates and mask requirements. Meanwhile, Starbucks is repealing their vax mandate as well. Can we spread that around, please? Number two. Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. Is he out of his mind? Don't answer that. Incursions unavoidable, and now thanks to Joe, inevitable? That's what the president actually said yesterday. You just heard about the Russians. Is that a green light? What is our Russian policy, and why have we not armed Ukraine yet? Number one. I didn't overpromise, and but I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where we have made enormous progress. Can you think of any other presidents done as much in one year? Name one for me. I don't know. The last one. Can we start there? I didn't overpromise, but I have the probably outperformed what anybody else thought would happen. Isn't that nice and humble of them? The fact of the matter is. That we're in a situation where we have made enormous progress. Yes, a presser complete. A FOC, uh, a, 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 a for endurance. I got to give him that. Taking questions from Fox, I give him credit for that. But in terms of preparation, he was prepared. But in terms of performance, D minus. We offer a reality check right now. So let's let's take a look. It went an hour and 53 minutes. Pretty impressive. Donald Trump went an hour and 26 minutes. I think Barack Obama went an hour and 26 minutes, too. Those were the first year of their press conferences. And he did last. He was he did last a long time and was prepared. There was a lot of moments where he just froze. But we're getting kind of used to that. But some of the things that he talked about, I think, needs to be discussed here. But one, what I just mentioned about the Ukraine. Number two that he missed two variants along the way. But he talked about the progress we've made. Please don't accept when he says, I've added jobs. 
We stopped working as a country, and it took us a year between handling what this COVID was, between the Delta variant, to actually stand up again. You don't get credit for that as a president, just like you can't take it away from Donald Trump because the country was told to stop by our so-called medical professionals. Here's more from Joe Biden. And he says he was shocked, shocked that Republicans didn't want to go along with him. Cut to. One of the things that I think is something that uh, one thing I haven't been able to do so far is get my Republican friends to get in the game of making things better in this country. Really? Getting things better or just going along with you? They have great ideas how to get things better. Number one, let's crack down on crime. Number two, let's back the cops. Number three, let's reinforce our border and actually make sure that uh, illegal aliens aren't coming into our place and also crack down on the border in a way that stops the fentanyl from coming through. Build up our defenses and let Europe know we have their back and don't leave Afghanistan in a way in which it embarrasses us for generations and gives a go sign to all our enemies around the world. How's that for an agenda? Here's the question that Peter Ducey asked the president. Cut five. Why are you trying so hard in your first year to pull the country so far to the left? Well, I'm not. I don't know what you consider to be too far to the left if, in fact, we're talking about making sure that we had the money for COVID, making sure we had the money to put together the bipartisan infrastructure, making sure we were able to provide for those things that, in fact, would significantly reduce the burden on working-class people but make them they have to continue to work hard. I don't know how that is pointed to the left. Well, it is. Build Back Better is a total left-wing plan. Look at the green uh, energy that is involved in that. Look what it does to fossil fuels. Look at all the other social programs and uh, paying for uh, everyone's junior college and everyone's preschool. These are social left-wing causes written down and almost entirely written, admitted by him, by Bernie Sanders. That's called left-wing. But he was unable to get a follow-up or he would have absolutely pushed on that, I am sure. So I looked at a few things. I wanted to see what the Washington Post said about what he could have done better. I thought it was kind of interesting. The Washington Post analysis, you made some unfortunate errors, Mr. President. The Afghanistan withdrawal, 13 dead, allowing progressive expectations to outrun reality with such a slim majority. That is a problem. Not uh, actually dealing with directly Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin. Uh, instead of just being surprised when they voted no, he should have persuaded them uh, to build back better. And if not, find out what they had and pass that. Oversweeping. And overstepping with voting rights. That failure was too broad. That, according to the Washington Post, not being ready for the two variants and not having enough tests is another one. I'll add this, not allowing those therapeutics to be made ahead of time and having 100 million ready to go. Not seeing any of the variants coming through. Of course, the, the exit from Afghanistan. On COVID, we're still dealing with it. We need a year two strategy. That's why the president's approval rating is 33% with Quinnipiac, 44% with CBS, and 40% in the Politico morning consult poll. So that's pretty significant. So that's uh, the president yesterday. I give him credit for standing there, taking questions, but his answers did not suffice. And I think he made one critical error that's universal no matter who you are, small company, big company, big country, small country. And that is telling people not to believe their eyes and their life. You told the American people yesterday that store shelves are between 85 and 89 percent full. That's not the case. You told the American people that you solved the supply chain problem. That's not the case. 
You told the American people that the inflation would be transitory. That's not the case. You also told the American people that it's up to the Fed to handle inflation. Not really. Not when you're spending. And what Washington Post pointed out, and I can't take credit for this, is they should have had somebody overseeing the spending. When you write $6.5 trillion in checks, it stands to reason, logic, that some of it's going to be misspent or not spent. Do you know we got a trillion dollars sitting around? And guess what? Nancy Pelosi is asking for more. So there's a lot of things going on. Blaming big meat for what's going on. That's just dumb. That's an insult to us. And to say that Build Back Better will help handle inflation is not accurate. Listen to his answer, though, which I found just, just, just galling when it comes to Afghanistan. Cut 16. Any regrets? There is no way to get out of Afghanistan after 20 years easily. Not possible, no matter when you did it. And I make no apologies for what I did. Had we stayed and I had not pulled those troops out, we would be asked to put somewhere between twenty and 50,000 more troops back in. Because the only reason more Americans weren't being killed than others is because the last president signed an agreement to get out by May the 1st. Okay. True. It would have been extended. That was definitely an elastic date, which you just spread to September, number one. Number two is... With about 5,000 troops, we still had a hand on the country and control of the policy. It was expensive. Technically, the American people uh, would have said it fast. Do you want to get out of Afghanistan? They say, yeah, okay. Well, you know, you see a casualty. You go, well, why are we still there? But then if you explain to the American people, Bagram Air Base, how it's between all our enemies, Pakistan, Iran, and China, had you told them what it would mean for our own defense, had you told them that al-Qaeda and ISIS are still there growing, and what would happen had we left, if we could keep a presence like we did in Germany, like we did in South Korea, can you imagine if we pulled troops out of South Korea? People would have understood because it was never a hot war. What he said, it was impossible to get out easily, that's fine. Very political word, easily. But the way you did it could not have been worse, and it bucked, unless they lied under oath, all of your military command, all of it, and you've never had a good track record when it comes to military operations and foreign relations, which is, makes you wonder, how the hell did he get elected president? Overall, the reaction across the board from the president's performance, and then, of course, I'll take your calls next at 1-866-408-7669. Ari Fleischer, Cut 19. I think if you were a liberal Democrat, the president may have been successful in a holding pattern where your support no longer erodes. There were some feisty moments by Joe Biden that bases of parties will enjoy. The problem Joe Biden has is he's cratering among independents and he certainly has lost Republicans. So it's that damage among independents. And I guess it's just the calculation of the White House in the off-year election cycle. They've got to run toward the base. Which shows that Peter Ducey's question about why are you running from the why are you governing from the left was a very valid question. Joe Biden rejected it. And you could embrace it if you wanted to go to the middle. That question is a welcome uh, is a welcome entree, and here's why: because you know one thing Bill Clinton reportedly said, according to Axios, he called up Joe Biden, or Joe Biden called him for advice, and he says, "What you do is you meet with Joe Manchin, you find out what he wants, what he can deal with, pass that, and run on the rest." That's what was also what people have recommended to him. He says he's opening up his circle of advisors. That would make sense. Overall, he gives a terrible presentation. And I'm not saying everyone could be Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, or Ronald Reagan. But the fact is, 
that he just uh, just loses it in the middle of sentences and knowing the power that he has and knowing he's always so alone and his circle is not exactly Colin Powell, Dick Cheney, and Leon Panetta, experienced people who have seen it all, lived it all. Here's Van Jones. He picked up what we picked up. Cut 20. I think it's have to be honest that you can be a, a foggy, meandering a president, say like Reagan near the end, if you're winning. But if you're foggy and meandering on key questions and you're also not winning, uh, then you've got a real problem. And I didn't even bring up what happened in the backdrop. I don't know who plans these things. Maybe it was on purpose. But there was a vote on the Senate floor that we knew the outcome was going to be another loss for Democrats. They asked to blow up the filibuster. Two Democrats voted against blowing up the filibuster. They asked to pass massive federalizing of elections, the John Lewis bill. And two Democrats, they did not get the 60 votes without the filibuster. It failed. So you had two epic fails after Build Back Better failed, after the president goes three times to Capitol Hill and fails. You look at what's happening in Russia. He's predicting an incursion. You cannot feel good about what's happening, and that's what Van Jones is indicating. So nobody cares about age. So if you are Joe Biden's age, I'm not insulting you. I'm telling you right now, Bernie Sanders, I think, is older. I don't think he's lost a step. Donald Trump, you might not like Donald Trump, but he's basically the same guy that you didn't or loved or or hated. This guy's not the same guy. one 408 I have a lot more to discuss, obviously. So do you. And don't you, I salute to Starbucks. No more vaccine mandates. Take their lead. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Our scientists believe it is likely that the Omicron wave has now peaked nationally. But we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. Government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. And no longer criminalize anyone who chooses not to wear one. Now go have an illegal party with a bring-your-own-beer and deny you ever did it. Uh, Boris Johnson had political problems, but he ended all mandates and mask-wearing in the U.K. Can we follow suit? Ed, listen on the Fox News Radio app in Pennsylvania. Hey, Ed. Hi, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. What, what did you think yesterday? Uh, well, not much. <laughs> I thought he, he, you know, he started out okay and became pretty pathetic eventually. Right. At least he stood there. John, WPTF. Hey, John. Raleigh. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Uh, totally embarrassing that the same four questions were asked over and over again for two hours. And not one time did anyone ask him one of the most important questions in this country right now to 56% of the people that were listening. What about the southern border? What are you going to do, and why haven't you done anything? And why did you put Kamala in charge of that? She has not hit a lick. Oh, she's been absolutely terrible. She's going to be going to Honduras, but you're not going to believe. 
I don't know if did we were able to pull that soundbite, Eric, because he did comment at one point about the border and he blamed Trump. He said Trump did so much damage to our allies in the region that uh, that he uh, the border is a mess and they've had a hard time getting a hold of it. You know they put no time into it. They put no resources into it. All they do is spend money, give it to these NGOs and fly these Catholic charities uh, and they fly them around the country and weave them into our society. You're 100% right. There were 11 questions on COVID-19, voting eight, Russia and Ukraine seven, uh, about his big legislative items four, first year overall record four, working with Republicans three, inflation two, build back better two. Uh, Jeff, listening on the TuneIn app. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Brian. I just wanted to mention I am an independent voter, and I just wanted to make I, I have a, a major disability, and as far as going to vote, I've never had a problem. Um, our voting, you know, maybe there's issues somewhere, but for me, for 30 years, I've never been able not to vote. So I don't know what your disability is, but this whole drive-through voting ban they say is limiting the vote. You can't have a drive-through vote. You get a family of four sitting there. You're all handing ballots. You're supposed to be private. You don't know if the father's pressuring the others, the woman is pressuring the guy, or vice versa. You're supposed to not have driving ballots. And if you do have a disability, it's already built into the system. Nobody has to tell someone with a disability how to operate. Thank you. William, listen on WTRC real quick in South Bend. William. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. Hey, there's a couple of things that, that it's completely scary that there's 33, 37% that, that uh, think he's doing a good job. But more importantly, it's absolutely disgusting and disgraceful that his wife, the first lady, she knows the condition he's in. And she's been behind it the whole time. And this country hangs in the balance because of the policies that he's being told to put in place. He's not coming up with these ideas. He can't even finish the sentence. He's being told what to do, and he's following through with it the best he can when he can remember the sentence. And it is extremely concerning and scary for the for the, this country going forward. William, I understand what you're saying, and I, I am surprised he's always by himself. You would think it would be just the opposite. You have his pandemic team around him. You have the economic expert next to him. And when he's walking around, his wife would be there to field some of the questions. And they just leave him out there. It's like they don't even care about him. I really think it's crazy. But meanwhile, he's running our country. Coming up next, a woman that would be a very good president, the co-host of Fox and Friends First, Carly Shimkus. And then we'll weave in some calls with her, too. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Just getting started. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade i didn't overpromise, and but i have probably uh outperformed what anybody thought would happen 
fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that not long ago. It's coming down. Everything's changing. It's getting better. Look, um, I didn't overpromise, but I think if you take a look at what we've been able to do, uh, you'd have to acknowledge we made enormous progress. Well, I mean, he, he could always spin things. There was no reason to say something like that that's uh, open and that's vulnerable. Carly Shimkus is here. Hey, Carly. Hey, how are uh, you? Fox and Friends Pro's co-host, but you see her all over the place from Outnumbered uh, on down. But, huh. Carly, first off, um, you heard the president say something that uh, everyone's giving him a pass on. I had to listen to this twice. He goes, we, the deaths were high, but they've come down. Excuse me, uh, Lazarus? We mean they've come back to life? They have, uh, and I don't know what the was. The question actually include the fact that you, if, the one question I wanted him to ask, you said after the death total that President Trump had under him, nobody who has had that death uh, toll under him should be president. Yours you know. has uh, lapped that. That's exactly right. Why are you going to resign? Right, yeah, I know. And, and he also declared victory over the virus when he was running for president. He said that he was going to uh, crush the virus, not crush the economy, and the exact opposite happened. I think that if you were a progressive, you um, liked the uh, press conference yesterday, but he also gave his critics a lot of ammunition. Uh, he definitely had his prepared talking points all lined up, and he kept on repeating them. The first one is that he's the victim. And that he, when he entered office, he had no idea that Republicans would be so obstructionist and not want to pass his progressive agenda. Kept on repeating that. He also kept on saying that he was going to leave the White House finally, tour America, talk to Americans face to face to uh, present to them how his vision of the country, what he's already accomplished and um, what he should accomplish down the road. By the way, he didn't even leave Delaware when he was on the campaign trail. So this is definitely going to be something new for him. The other thing he kept on doing, Brian, repeatedly, he kept on asking the question, what are Republicans for? What are they for? And it was almost like he was begging Republicans to go on Twitter and say, you want to know what I'm for? I'm for low crime, low, low taxes, um, and, uh, and, and the exact opposite of uh, what you have been promoting when it comes to uh, big government. So I think that it was pretty much two hours of partisanship and, uh, like I said, gave his his critics a lot of ammunition to he use did. against him and also some of his supporters as well. You know, the, the one thing I think was uh, was pretty easy to do, I guess tough to say, but if you acknowledge uh, your shortcomings, it makes people pay attention when you say things like, this is what I did get done. But when you say, who has accomplished more in one year than me? Can you name anybody? Well, that's yeah. not really the... Come on. I know. It's like, and you know that that's a lie. I didn't know Republicans so were going to be it? against me. I did I know. not know Republicans were going to be against me. The other thing, Brian, um, a comment that I don't think is getting enough attention um, is how he responded to Afghanistan. And, you know, when the report- I just played it, yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 was, I was appalled by that. It was such a dismissive answer where he said we had to pull troops out um, because it was costing us too much money to be there. I, you know, don't apologize for how, how I handled that. Yeah, I have concern for the 13, 13 service members who died, but we had to leave anyway. Whenever service members who die, die there, there's never, there should never be a but after that. Uh, so, I mean, I, I thought that was a horrifying response. Absolutely, and it, it's not going to sit well, too, because why was it okay to leave America's behind? You said you weren't going to do that. You did, and have a number of people left behind mm-hmm. along with our allies. So I want you to hear another uh, area of contention that for some reason we didn't do on Fox and Friends today. You might have done it. I might have missed it. 
uh, Fox and Friends first. So President Biden was asked about the ridiculous speech he made in Georgia. And the fact is he compared anyone who didn't vote with him to horrible segregationists. Cut 29. You campaigned and, and you ran on a return to civility. And I know that you dispute the characterization that you called folks who would oppose those voting bills um, as being Bull Connor or George Wallace. But you said that they would be sort of in the, the same camp. No, uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said. Ugh. And tell me if you think I called anyone who voted on the side of position taken by Bull Connor that they were Bull Connor. You have to speak from your heart as well as your head. I was speaking out forcefully on what I think to be at stake. Okay. Uh, no, no. He, the Bill Wegman of Real Clear Politics was 100% right. You want proof? Here it is. Cut 30. The consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, the side of Dr. King? Or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? Yeah, also, I'm glad that you said his name, uh, Phil Wegman, real clear politics. He's been on Fox News before. I, I think that he always does a really good job. I also think it's a very intimidating thing when a president is yelling at you uh, during a national press conference when you know as the reporter that you're right. Because what he said was, OK, yeah, uh, I may not be calling Republicans Bull Connor or or George Wallace, but I'm calling them someone who agrees with Bull Connor or George Wallace. Um, and he also said that the midterm elections might not be legitimate if they don't pass election reform, which is the exact comment that got President Trump in trouble. So now people are allowed to say that. He also said that Republicans are trying to limit um, minorities from voting. He specifically said that. And then uh, yesterday there was a great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal from Jason Riley, And he said um, the Democratic Party has long depended on keeping black people scared and paranoid to maintain their support. That's how its activists raise money and how its candidates typically turn out the base. That's the only explanation for saying that supporting um, ID to vote is racist when so many people support that. Of course, I think 70 percent of the country, including people of color, uh, support it. And by the way, how great is it going to be? And uh, with my tongue in my cheek. You have to produce a vaccine card and your ID to back up. That is your so vaccine how is that card. Not racist? And then you walk inside where they're not going to ask for your ID to vote. You know they're going to ask for that in certain states I like know. New York and, and every course. every city in California. Exactly. And also, everybody can vote. It's you know, it, everybody can vote, and it's an easy thing to do. Um, but I think that Jason Riley in this uh, Wall Street Journal piece, the Radical Progress Democrats won't admit he hit the nail on the head there. I want you to hear, I did not hear this yet, but Kamala Harris was on another network today and was asked about this. Let's listen. Let's talk about another comment the president made. He openly cast doubt on whether the 2022 midterm elections would be legitimate. He said it all depends, um, which is astonishing to hear a president question whether our elections will be legitimate. We've heard it before, but not from this president. Is he really concerned that that we may not have fair and free elections? The president has been consistent 
on this issue and the issue at hand, the issue I was there last night uh, in the chamber of the Senate, and the issue is that there are two bills, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, that have been the, the solution that has been offered to address the fact that around our country, states have put in place laws that are purposely making it more difficult for the American people to vote. Laws which will be felt by at least 55 million Americans, regardless of their party affiliation, their race, their gender, or their geographic location. Well, to the point, though, because so those we bills have been were clear, debated, and it's, but it's, yeah, the, the, the bills it's, were debated it's, it's, and they didn't man, pass. If so I may the, finish, the if I may, if I may course, finish. But the specific question, if you don't mind, does he think, now that these bills haven't been passed, that the 22 midterms won't be legitimate or fair or free? Let's not conflate issues. So what we are looking at, and, and the topic of so much debate last night, was that we as America cannot afford to allow this blatant erosion of our democracy and in particular the right of all Americans who are eligible to vote to have access to the ballot unfettered. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So your take on her? Uh, well, I think that she's trying to walk back what um, the president said yesterday a little bit, but I also think that we're uh, staring down the barrel of what it's going to be like in 10 months when I mean, it's looking like Republicans are going to take back the House. And then what are Democrats going to do? They're, they are going to use the fact that voting rights didn't pass as an excuse. It's not about their policies. It's going to be about this election reform um, that didn't pass unless it passes in chunks, as the president said yesterday, which I don't think is going to happen. Uh, I want you to hear exactly. By the way, yeah. I mean, for, to cast doubt on elections again, when he just ripped, they ripped Democrats, ripped but President de- Trump but daily. Brian, Democrats did that uh, dur- under Hillary Clinton. They did that uh, with Stacey, Stacey Abrams. Abrams and they were allowed to do it. They got away with it when the other side does it. It uh, by the becomes way, this big thing that's censored on social media. Uh, by the way, this guy named John Lewis, he said President Trump's an illegitimate president. Does that help the democracy? Uh, does that help democracy? Cut 32. Yeah. You said that it depends. Uh, do you do you think that they would in any way be illegitimate? Oh yeah, I think it easily could be be illegitimate. Imagine, imagine if in fact Trump has succeeded in convincing Pence to not count the votes. Uh, imagine uh, if, in, in regards to 2022, sir, the midterm. Oh, 2022. I mean, uh, imagine if those uh, attempts to say that. Uh, the count was not legit. You have to recount it, or we're not going to count. We're going to discard the following votes. I mean, sure, it, 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 I'm not saying it's going to be legit. It's the increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these these reforms passed. Yeah, I think the bottom line when it comes to this topic is when you talk about federalizing election laws, you're going against federalism, which means that states have the rights uh, to make their own election laws. Thank God we live in a country where every state has made it easy and accessible to vote. Uh, There's no need to federalize that and take power away from states. And I also do think that Democrats are going to use this as an excuse excuse in 10 months um, if Republicans sweep um, the House and possibly the Senate. When we come back, more from Carly Shimkus, uh, we find out um, what does Carly think of the bust that I have on our very table of myself? Oh, I have thoughts. Right. You have thoughts? Oh, I sure do. There is. If you're not watching on Fox Nation, um, there is actually a bust of me. Right? 
there is. Back in a moment. I wasn't going to say anything, but oh my God. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What he said uh, was, actually the entire thing, but the first part was probably the most jarring. Uh, to hear a president of the United States who is not Donald Trump even suggest ahead of time that an election isn't legitimate. Uh, That is Dana Bash of CNN, and uh, she is talking about the integrity of the elections. Carly Shimka is here. Carly, it's a big deal. I mean, now 2022 is going to happen. Democrats are going to get crushed Unless something really un, uh, unpredictable happens, they're going to get crushed. Yeah. And they're going to turn around and say, because you didn't let minorities vote. Yeah, I think that that is accurate. Um, it is getting pushback, though. It's getting a surprising amount of pushback. So um, because the president you know, made this air yesterday and he, he aired his true feelings about how, uh, how what his tactic is going to be, I genuinely believe that that is part of the reason they wanted to pass uh, voter reform now because – when you look at the fact that it was never going to pass, I mean, it needs 60 votes or uh, the filibuster to be uh, gotten rid of. And President Biden walked into this conversation knowing that <clears throat> neither of those two things were going to happen. Um, I think he either wanted to make a point and try and get positive news coverage over this because, you know, uh, most of the media does agree with him when it comes to voter reform um, or the fact that he was going to use this as an excuse. And it appears to not be working. Uh, because even as you just played, uh, there are people on typically friendly networks that are criticizing him for his comments yesterday. You know, I've got some text messages from my neighbors today saying, Brian, you keep saying that Republicans are, are blocking him. And he keeps saying Republicans are blocking him. He had no idea, which is totally insincere. He's been in partisan politics I know. since for 50 plus years. But then was brought up to me. And I don't know why I don't think of it more. He's being blocked by Democrats. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. But there's the reason why there probably isn't two more states or more uh, or the Supreme Court is impact. The filibuster isn't broken and voting legislation is not through. Build Back Better is now not part not signed into law is people like Joe Manchin. And by the way, they will be heroes to Democrats in about two years. Yeah. Heroes. Because Mitch McConnell said, or, sorry, were you done? Yeah, I, I just want you to Go hear ahead. this. This is Joe Manchin. While we were watching the president, Joe Manchin was speaking. Cut 37. Allowing one party to exert complete control in the Senate with only a simple majority will only pour fuel on a fire of political whiplash and dysfunction that is tearing this nation apart. Contrary to what some have said, protecting the role of the minority, Democrat or Republican, has protected us from the volatile political swings that we have endured over the last 233 years. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to apologize for cutting you off on your own show. It was a lot of judgment. I accept your apology. Okay, good. Um, and yeah, I mean, Mitch McConnell, or, um, Joe Manchin's absolutely right. And just think about what Mitch McConnell said during his speech about uh, the, the filibuster. They said, OK, listen, if, if Democrats want to get rid of the filibuster, that's fine. But then we're going down to 50 votes. And you know what's going to happen when Republicans uh, regain control? We are going to make it impossible. We're going to do everything from abortion to uh, to the, the border wall, to crime. We're going to try and do every single thing. And what um, Joe Manchin is saying is, listen, the Senate is a body where you need to work together. That's why the 60 votes is so important. It's not about uh, minority power taking over majority. It's about co- meeting in the middle so these wild swings in policy don't occur. Right. So 
Uh, it was hard listening to all of it yesterday and getting through it, but I started uh, doing that because now we're in 53 minutes. It was long. It was pretty long. Yeah. But I will say this. Good job on endurance. Yes. Good job. He was prepared. I don't like – you might not yeah. like his answer. He was prepared. But I was hoping for a legitimate – year two approach when it comes to COVID-19. Well, he did say, I'm going to pay him a compliment here. He did say a couple of things that I thought were good. He said right at the very beginning during his like 10 minute prepared remark thing, he said, no more lockdowns, no more school closures. And he talked about the 20 million COVID pills that his administration um, is going to order or ordered rather, which is great. Those are three things that um, I think that Republicans would be very happy about. Right. Absolutely. So the other thing, um, I love Starbucks. Starbucks is lifting oh, yeah, the Vax mandate. Why? UK. They're lifting all stops. No. Turning the page. Yeah. You know why Starbucks is not doing it? They can't get employees. They can't get them to stay at work. So they quit. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Saturday at 3 o'clock, I could not get a Starbucks at two of the three Starbucks in my neighborhood. I went to Pennsylvania. It closed at 1 o'clock for a book signing. I go, I can't believe there's no place to get coffee in this little town of Pennsylvania, they go, they can't get any employees. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing, um, this is not the point, but do you like Starbucks over Dunkin' Donuts? Because I'm a Dunkin' Donuts person. Starbucks uh, is too strong for I like me. To, I like to mix it up. I don't go pure coffee. I go, what does that say? Uh, via instant latte pumpkin spice. You're a pumpkin spice man? Right. Uh, you are an onion, Brian, and I am just <laughs> peeling <laughs> back the layers. I had no idea. Right. And I was one of the first to jump on pumpkin spice and really? request that it no longer be seasonal. So are you saying that pumpkin spice is popular because of you? Do you know of a counter-argument to this, uh, Allison? I don't. It's the best one I've ever heard. Brian, you're a trendsetter, trendsetter rather, I especially so. among teenagers, teenage uh, girls. I never answered why my bust was here. <laughs> Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York City, heard around the country, heard around the world. You can also get us our podcast. If you can't fit us into listening live, I hope you do. Uh, but if you don't, you go get the podcast. And so many downloads. So many people say, I listen to your podcast, and I have to remind myself that that's what they do with the show every day. I mean, they pop out the commercials, uh, and they and you can hear it straight through. Mark Thiessen will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Wrote a great column previewing what he hoped the president would say as he recapped year one and what he didn't accomplish uh, along the way. And then Ari Fleischer will add to his great insight from last night. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. But we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. The government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. And no longer criminalise anyone who chooses not to wear one. Not bad. Boris Johnson, UK, show us the way. They are dropping all mandates and mask requirements. Meanwhile, Starbucks repealing their vax mandate as well. Rest of America, please catch on. Number two. Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. Yeah, incursions. Unavoidable, and now thanks to Joe, inevitable. That's what President actually said yesterday as the Russians uh, about possibly invading Ukraine. It seems like we're going to tolerate it already. Massive blowback from the Ukrainians. Number one. I didn't overpromise, and what I have probably uh, 
outperform what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where we have made enormous progress. Can you think of any other president who's done as much in one year? Name one for me. Good. That's the perfect question for Ari Fleischer. I didn't overpromise, right? The presser complete. A, uh, I give him an A for endurance and preparation, but a D minus for actual pre, uh, actual content. We offer a reality check right now from Ari Fleischer. Ari, can you name a, this is a tough question. It's almost like Jeopardy. Can you name a president that's done more in his first year than Joe Biden? <laughs> done more bad things than Joe Biden? <laughs> no, I, I really can't. I, I can't name a president whose popularity has dropped as much as Joe Biden's who overpromised as much as Joe Biden and who has been as pro-Russian as Joe Biden, basically inviting them into Ukraine now. Uh, what, what about that? I think people at home should hear it. I mean, basically, he was asked about Russia and the chance of them going in. Um, and and here is here is what he said uh, about Russia actually going into the country. I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. And by the way, I've indicated to him the two things he said to me that he wants, guarantees of. One is Ukraine will never be part of NATO. And two, that NATO or the there will not be strategic weapons stationed in Ukraine. Uh, he wanted a lot more, and that's two of them. So is he going to get his way by even talking in an emergency meeting tomorrow with Lavrov and now saying there's going to be incursions? Now the foreign minister came out and said this, uh, minor incursions into his country by Russia could serve as an invitation to attack by Moscow, and that the prime minister has weighed in with something similar. We in the Ukraine have no doubt that President Biden is committed to the Ukraine, but they are really concerned about that statement. Should they be? Oh, my goodness, Brian. Think about what he is saying. This is the man who got elected in part because of all his experience, foreign policy knowledge. He knows leaders around the world. He's supposed to be good at this. And he goes out and says, you know, a minor incursion. We don't know what we're going to do. We, you know, we don't want to have a fight within NATO about what to do about that. That is putting up a green light to Russia that says, go take over using force portions of another country. I mean, how many minor incursions are you allowed? Can 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 the Russians get one into Alaska? They might want it back. Uh, what about Mexico into Texas? Is that a, can they have a minor incursion? You know, think about all around the world. What does that doctor mean? Can China have a minor incursion into Taiwan? What is Joe Biden talking about? I, either you deter, or you just say it's not in America's interest. We're not involved. You can't be saying dopey things like he said it makes no sense so the other area when it comes to foreign policy is comments on afghanistan i found thoroughly unacceptable here he is 16 there is no way to get out of afghanistan after 20 years easily not possible no matter when you did it and i make no apologies for what i did had we stayed and i not pulled those troops out we would be asked to put somewhere between twenty and 50,000 more troops back in because the only reason more Americans weren't being killed than others is because the last president signed an agreement to get out by May the 1st. 
Uh, Ari, that is totally not true, Twenty to 50,000. Even before that agreement was signed, we had about five to 7,000 still holding the country. You could have explained to the country the need to hold on to Bagram and where our enemies were located and where we'd be removed till. And the fact that al-Qaeda ISIS presence was there. The American people, thanks to your administration, uh, and you were the leading communicator there, were educated to the threat of Islamic extremists. We were already there. Explain what you were up to. There was no pressure to get out. And certainly that plan was not signed on and was not supported by his military commanders. He got away with that one. Well, you know, Brian, step back. Here, here's why Joe Biden is in trouble, because he keeps saying things from the beginning of his administration that turned out to be wrong. He said about all the surge of people coming over illegally on the southern border that it was seasonal. He said that inflation was transitional. He said that the Taliban could not possibly defeat the Afghanistan military because the Afghan military was, was too strong. And then as they started to defeat the Afghan military, he told the American people that people in, in Kabul could get to the airport, that nothing was stopping them from getting to the airport when it was clear to everybody there was. He kept saying things that every event on the ground proved false, and now he's doing it again. He says he didn't overpromise. He's the president who made the biggest, worst overpromise as a candidate in the history of being candidate of candidates when he said he was going to um, shut down the virus. That wasn't an overpromise in his opinion. Of course it was. On issue after issue, Brian, Joe Biden has told the American people that he was doing things while the events on the ground proved what he was doing wasn't working or what he was saying was just totally wrong. He did it again on COVID tests. When he gave a speech in, uh, I think it was September or October, he said he was going to send 250,000 uh, COVID tests to the Ameri- throughout the American people, 250 million to the American people. He didn't do it. He didn't send them. And then in December, when we all got sick, and he said he was going to send half a mil- uh, 500 million te- uh, COVID tests to people, He said, I wish I had said it earlier. He forgot he had said it. He just didn't do it. Which is nuts. the biggest problem with Joe Biden's presidency. He's wrong on everything. You know, here's here's the difference. All right, my biggest surprise, he didn't hire a competent staff. He doesn't seem, I mean, I, I could be his biggest supporter. And if I was... And I'm open to being it if he was doing a good job. I'm, if you were a moderate, for example, if a guy like Carol Ford was president and he was just pushed to the left on certain issues, but clearly strong defense, clearly understood you can't be spending during an inflationary cycle at the rate we're doing, clearly uh, pre-ordering the therapeutics, not ordering after they passed, picking up that we have a, a war, Operation Warp Speed and that model was successful, ordering tests ahead of time. I couldn't care less if you're a Democrat or Republican. I'm pro-American. But his staff is, is, is the C-list. I mean, where's his chief of staff organizing, understanding what legislation's doing, knowing that Manchin's not bending, not embarrassing the president by having him show up on Capitol Hill with Kirsten Cinema, disavowing his push to get rid of the filibuster. The execution is something I never expected to be the problem with the Biden people. Were you? Yeah, but I just don't blame the staff. You know, I've learned being in a White House that the issues really do come from the top. The decisions, the judgment, the tone, the direction, it's all set by the president, and then the staff's job is to implement it. But when you have a president who, Brian, I say this, I hate to put it this way, but who forgets what he said during the very same news conference, what's the staff to do? I mean, about Ukraine, the president said, I don't think Putin's made up his mind yet. Then he said, I think Putin will invade. Then he said, Putin will wake up and decide what to do. 
He's all over the map. This is the problem when you have somebody like that. And it's the same thing about the, the testing that I just referred to. He forgot what he said in September or October, and then he said in December, I wish I had thought about it. How do you staff somebody like that? The problem is the person himself. At the news conference, he said, in, in response to, to Peter Ducey's really good question, he said, I have, when Peter Ducey said, why are you governing from the left? He just kind of said, I'm, I'm not. Well, of course he is. He's put his agenda in Bernie Sanders' hands. He's doing what Bernie wants on the biggest domestic spending bills. He's out to lunch, and he's wrong on so much. And he just put it on display yesterday for a long period of time. And I think one of the reasons he's unpopular is because American people saw him at yesterday's news conference. It's what they've been seeing all year long. So Vice President Kamala Harris doing the rounds today. She was on NBC and was asked about when Joe Biden came out and said, you have a reason to doubt the outcome of the 2022 elections because this John Lewis and the voting bill is not going to pass the Senate. And I can't believe he even said that because he's been consistently ridiculing the President Trump for doing that, forgetting, of course, that Hillary Clinton did the same thing as did Stacey Abrams. Listen to this sparring. Tell me how the vice president did cut 54. Let's talk about another comment the president made. He openly cast doubt on whether the 2022 midterm elections would be legitimate. He said it all depends, um, which is astonishing to hear a president question whether our elections will be legitimate. We've heard it before, but not from this president. Is he really concerned that, that we may not have fair and free elections? The president has been consistent on this issue. And the issue at hand, the issue I was there last night uh, in the chamber of the Senate, and the issue is that there are two bills, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act that have been the, the solution that has been offered to address the fact that around our country, states have put in place laws that are purposely making it more difficult for the American people to vote. Laws which will be felt by at least 55 million Americans, regardless of their party affiliation, their race, their gender, or their geographic location. Well, to the point, though, because so those we bills were debated. Clear, and it's, but it's, yeah, the, the, the bills it's, were debated, it's, it's, and they didn't may, pass. If so I may the, finish, the if I may, if I may finish. But the specific question, if you don't mind, does he think now that these bills haven't been passed that the 22 midterms won't be legitimate or fair or free? Let's not conflate issues. So what we are looking at and, and the topic of so much debate last night was that we as America cannot afford. So she's not going to answer the question, Ori. Yeah. Well, her boss already did. Who cares what Kamala Harris said? Joe Biden yesterday questioned the legitimacy of the 2022 election. His definition of whether it's legitimate or not is whether the Democrats win. Brian, no one can do this. I criticize Donald Trump when he did this. I criticize Joe Biden when he does this. It is just flat out wrong. And it's one of the reasons Joe Biden is such a divisive figure. And look at his language that the voting law in Georgia, whether you allow 10 days or 15 days of early voting, makes you Jim Crow 2.0. What's wrong with him? He is the biggest race baiter we have ever had in the White House. You know, his comparisons of Republicans who oppose him on, on how many extra days of voting do you get are like George Wallace, Jefferson Davis, and Bull Connor. And then he takes umbrage yesterday when people pointed that out to him. This is race baiting. This is the worst type of thing a president can do. And it's 
par for the course from Joe Biden, who, of course, said when he ran against Mitt Romney that Republicans want to put you all back in chains to a black audience. And the man's judgment is off. He's flawed in what he does. His memory is poor. This is why his job approval is down so much in the first year of office. What has he done right is really the question. Uh, this just came across. Jen Psaki was just on with Dana and Bill Hemmer and was asked about Zel- – and, and Zelensky had tweeted something out while they were on the air together. And again, I have not heard this, so let's, let's play it. And in real time, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, just sent out this tweet. Uh, I want to read it to you. I know it's, you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. We'll read it I together. haven't seen it yet. So yes, we no. want to remind the great powers that there are no minor incursions and small nations, just as there, there, just as there are no minor casualties and little grief from the loss of loved ones. I say this as the president of a great power. End tweet. Your reaction to that? Well, I would be very, I would be, thank you for the opportunity. Sure. Let me be very clear. Uh, the president has conveyed directly to President Putin, if there is the movement of any military troops across the border, that is an invasion. Uh, if they go in, that is an invasion, and there will be severe economic consequences. So, listen, uh, pre- so we're basically, Ari, she's answering the way the president should have. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Neither what Kamala Harris nor the press secretary, and I know this from experience, overrule the president. I know. Vladimir Putin already heard directly from Joe Biden at yesterday's news conference that minor incursions are okay. How can Joe Biden clean it up? Look, again, Brian, at a moment like this, if you care about Russia invading a sovereign country through the use of overwhelming military force, you either acquiesce to it because you say we don't care, it's not in America's interest— or you have to deter. And as Ronald Reagan taught us, if you're going to deter, you do throw some strength and clarity. But Joe Biden said yesterday was neither strong nor clear. It was an, invade, an, an invitation to invade. And, of course, they're trying to clean it up. That's the staff's job. But it's too late, and it, it's, it doesn't matter anymore, does it? He already said it. Gotcha. All right. Uh, I, 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 hear, I feel your stress. Uh, I, I feel the same way because we're, we're in this tornado, uh, this whirlpool uh, for the next three years. Uh, thanks so much for your instant analysis. Always clear and concise. My pleasure. Always great to be with you, Brian. Go get him. Ari Fleischer. When we come back, your turn. one 866 Then we turn it over to Mark Teese in the Washington Post. Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Three protests in a single week. Medical workers, teachers, and ordinary citizens angered by the French government's handling of the pandemic. But with the fifth wave bringing record COVID figures, it's determined to keep up the pressure on the unvaccinated. Make this simple gesture for you, for your countrymen, for our country. The whole of France is counting on you. Emmanuel Macron's tone changing only days later when he told a newspaper that he wanted, with his vaccine pass, to piss off France's 5 million unvaccinated citizens, roughly 7.5% of the population. It appears to have worked. Protesters angry that the unvaccinated will be excluded from cafes, restaurants, cinemas, theatres and even transport between regions. Incredible, right? I mean, this is what's going on. And the thing with Omicron, it changed everything. I just go back to what um, Dr. McCary said. 
you there's so many breakthroughs uh, with the boosted with the with the check out today Bloomberg big story how Omicron exposed the problems with the mRNA vaccine and when people get sick anyway they go it would have been so much worse if you weren't vaccinated I don't know that you don't know that they don't know that we're we're close enough now mild symptoms if people want to die they want to do it they want to take the risk let them do it there's no proof that unvaccinated or vaccinated spread the virus quicker, easier, and the ramifications are your own personal decision. I speak for the French. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And so I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable. If it invades, and it depends on what it does, it's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having to fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further invade Ukraine. Uh, the only thing, this, the SWIFT financial system, I understand, is something they would really feel. The rest of this stuff, they don't care. The other sanctions didn't matter. And for him to say slight incursion is a foreign policy faux pas that you wouldn't expect to see with somebody who was once chairman of foreign relations, vice president of the United States, who's been doing this for 50-plus years. But maybe I'm grading him too harshly. Let's go out to Mark Thiessen now, former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Mark, I read your preview. I used it, and I, but I gave you credit uh, on TV and radio yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but first off, you know foreign policy as well as anyone. That was a major mistake. Yeah, I worked on the Center Foreign Relations Committee uh, when Biden was the ranking member and Jesse Elms was the chairman. And, uh, you know, I think Robert Gates has it right. He's been wrong on every foreign policy issue, uh, you know, for his entire career. I mean, the idea of saying, well, you know, a minor incursion is one thing. But, you know, what well, was, was taking Crimea a minor incursion? It wasn't a full invasion. He didn't take over Ukraine. He just seized Crimea and annexed it and made it a part of Russia. So, I mean, the, the idea that you would greenlight a minor incursion and raise any question and the fact that they had to backtrack it, you know, that uh, we, we criticize him for not holding press conferences and talking extemporaneously like this for, for hours on end. There's a reason why they don't let him do it. <laughs> There's a reason why, because he says stupid things like this. Right. And but the ramifications are real. We had the prime minister of Ukraine weigh in, the foreign minister already. And people wonder yep. if on some level when that ground freezes, Putin just got the the go sign. Uh, I, I'm not. Uh, you I can't you know, undo it. Go ahead. No, I mean, you can't undo it. You get, when, when you say something like that, you know, then then the, Putin reads that and he under he understands what Biden's mind is now. He understands that he can get away with some things. He, you know, he he can't get away with marching on Kiev, but if he uh, you know takes the Donbass region and annexes it and makes it part of Russia, then you know he may he might get away with that. And he also revealed the divisions within NATO, right? Because you know the the NATO ally, you know part, part of the problem we have is that throughout history. You know, America has been this, the spine of the NATO alliance, right? You know, with the, the, the many times it's the Europeans who don't want to do anything, don't want to take a stand, the Western Europeans. The East Europeans are always solid. But it's the West Europeans who are, you know, they, I mean, Germany is like building this Nord Stream 2 pipeline with Russia. They, 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 they're, they're tying their economy to Russia. They don't want to impose major sanctions. So if, if it's a minor incursion, do you think Germany wants to kick them out of the SWIFT banking system? Of course not. Does does Germany want uh, to to stop the Nord Stream pipeline? Of course not. So he's revealing, you know, that he that he's willing to make concessions to the to the weakest uh, links in the NATO chain. 
Um, you know, and and uh, it's just, it's just disastrous. It's it's just I, I every time I think this guy can't step fall any lower on national security, it gets worse. So, do you believe the the Joe Biden that you knew in the '90s is different than dramatically different in his opinions from today? Because I sense he would have still pulled out of Afghanistan. I sense that was all him. And that's him maybe revealing that they did set up a flow chart and that a small incursion, this administration would not react. But tell me, is is that a slip up or is that something that he would have done in the 80s and 90s? You know, I don't know, because, I mean, he was, you know, in the 90s, he was he together with Helms. He was the leader of the NATO expansion movement to bring Poland, uh, Hungary and the Czech Republic into the NATO alliance. Um, so no, I don't think. And 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 back in the like, you know, if you go back to the uh, '70s during the car, when he, I mean, I, to how far he goes back, it was you know, I remember during the Ford administration when they do, wouldn't invite Alexander Solzhenitsyn to to uh, Washington for fear of angering the Soviets and undermining detente. It was Joe Biden and Jesse Helms who stood up and voted, invited him to come to Capitol Hill. So this is not the Joe Biden that I remember, but uh, from 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 all those many years ago. Uh, but I mean, he's he's just he's weak. This is the problem. This is an expression of weakness. He doesn't want to put anything on the line to defend Ukraine, and so he's basically signaling, you know, that if we have a minor incursion or that we can negotiate, uh, you know, with Putin's concerns about NATO and all the rest of it, that this 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 is non this should be non negotiable. Nothing should be negotiated at the uh, at the uh, at the uh, threat under the threat of invasion. Worth mentioning that Alexei Navalny is quoted in the today's New York Times saying that. Uh, time and time again, America's acquiescing to bullies, almost like to an older classman, by even meeting with Vladimir Putin, by listening to his demands. You're giving in to the bully, and and he it's making life harder for people like him. So here, here's the problem. And one of the things that I learned working for Don Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld had a saying, weakness is provocative, right? Weakness uh, tempts people to test your, test your will and and to do things they might not otherwise do. So is it any coincidence that Russia began massing its troops on the border of Ukraine just a few months after the withdrawal from Afghanistan? Of course not. Um, and when when Joe Biden says something like a minor incursion, you know, what? it's not just Russia that's listening to that. Look at China. Does it, so is it OK to have a minor incursion into Taiwan? Is it okay for can China take back some of the islands? Just not not the mainland of Taiwan, but just militarily take back some of the islands that Taiwan claims uh, as part of its territory? Would a minor incursion of Taiwan be okay? Would North Korea a minor incursion into South Korea would that be okay? It, it, this this it, this has consequences. You have to project strength. If you project weakness, then the whole world is watching, and they decide to test your will. And Joe Biden's will is not up to the test. Yeah, uh, so Alexei Navalny is is a guy that's been jailed because he's come out against Vladimir Putin, uh, which he does all the time. By the way, it looks as though uh, the axis of evil is reconstituting, and in this new axis, it's Russia, China, and Iran. Russia and China are 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 showing off their new relationship economically and militarily. There was a time in which Russia was going along with us in coming down on Iran. That ship has has certainly sailed. So I want to just overall, you mentioned something in your column yesterday that I was looking for. You mentioned that George W. Bush wrote a speech, and when the Iraq war was going bad, he talked about his goals in Iraq, and people didn't buy it. But when he yeah. did, when he actually went out and he did the surge and it worked and, and stabilized Iraq, and Obama sadly pulled all our troops out prematurely, then people were paying attention. And you can't tell people not to believe their eyes. 
You're telling yeah. people the supply chain is fixed. You're telling people the unemployment is 3.9. We don't have a problem here. And you're saying that our life is getting back to normal with the COVID virus and that kids are back in school. We don't believe any of it. Well, so his opening sentence of the press conference yesterday was, it's been a year of challenges, but also a year of enormous progress. People look at that and say, what the hell are you talking about? You know, this is this is the lesson I learned in in in, uh, in the Bush administrations. When the when the when the president, what the president of the United States says is so out of sync with with the, with what Americans are experiencing and seeing on their television screens, then they tune him out. Like, as you said, you know, I, I, Bush gave these eloquent speeches in 2006 talking about, you know, the consequences of failure and why we had to stay the course in Iraq, in Iraq and why we couldn't let al-Qaeda win. And it didn't move any numbers until he changed the policy on the ground and the conditions on the ground, and we started winning again. And then people were willing to listen and support the and support seeing the mission through. Joe Biden goes out and says things like, you know, well, we have the, the we created the most jobs of any president in 50 years. And, and he, what he, Americans say, yeah, that's because we lost the most jobs because of the pandemic. So, of course, we created more jobs. People whose jobs disappeared because of government shutdowns. He says we got the lowest unemployment rate uh, of, of any president in years. Well, that's because... The, because people, the unemployment only counts people who are who are returning are actually looking for work. There's yes. ten million unfilled jobs in America. He says record wage gains; those have been wiped out by record inflation. People don't people don't feel like they've got they've gotten a raise. They they they, they they're paying they're going to the grocery store. They're paying more at the gas pump. They're paying more for their heating bills. They're going to the grocery store, and it looks like the old Soviet Union with empty shelves. And he's saying you got to wait, and, and and they can't afford what they what's there. You know, and he's saying you got a wage gain. What is he talking about? Well, the so, un- so yeah, is, that's a good point. Undermines his own message. Inflation is a huge issue with everybody listening. I don't care if you're a billionaire or you're just scraping by. Everybody listening, and he says it's up to the Fed to fix it or pass Bill back better, and it'll begin to work. We all know that that uh, deflecting to the Fed, who's already at zero percent interest rates, and essentially. Going out uh, with the money supply, of course, they could print more, but it would devalue as well. And then you you look at the you look at the other on the other side, um, passing back build back better, spending two trillion dollars to think we're going to get out of debt or we're going to rescue our economy to make the goods cheaper is just nuts. So well, why ask yourself why we have inflation today? Why did we unleash inflation? Because we had a 300 – at the start of Biden's presidency, we had a $300 billion output hole in the American economy, and he poured $1.9 trillion into it with that fake COVID relief bill that was really a social spending bill disguised as COVID relief. He wrote stimulus checks. He gave child tax credits. He increased federal unemployment subsidies. And so personal savings rates went through the roof. And then when the economy opened up again, people had money to spend. But they didn't have. But they weren't eager to return the work. So the demand soared. The supply side couldn't keep up, and the result is inflation and supply chain issues. And so, knowing that, the, the your answer is to spend three point five trillion dollars in, in on, on Build Back Better. Stop, the answer is stop pouring government money and overheating the demand side of the economy, and let the supply side catch up. He unleashed the inflation, and he wants to do pass legislation that would do more of it. Uh, so, I, you know, flipping around, uh, we dug out Van Jones to see what he thought of the speech. Cut 20. I think you have to be honest that you can be a, a foggy, meandering a president, say, like Reagan near the end, if you're winning. 
But if you're foggy and meandering on key questions and you're also not winning, uh, then you've got a real problem. Very true, right? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, look, just look at look at the record. OK, let's just go through it quickly. Worst inflation in 40 years. Massive labor shortage, 10 million unfilled jobs, war on fossil fuels that pushed gasoline and home heating prices through the roof. As I said, $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, and we still have a shortage of, of tests and therapeutics. Schools closing again. Kids are five to six months behind in reading and math. The American Academy of Pediatrics says we're having a child mental health crisis. He weaponized the FBI to intimidate parents. Record crime wave in American cities, 17 cities breaking murder records. Worst border crisis in U.S. history. Fentanyl seizures doubled in 2021. And overdose deaths in America doubled in 2021. Withdrawal from Afghanistan, most shameful foreign policy calamity in my lifetime, which emboldened Russia. And, and, and he promised in his inaugural address to put his whole soul into uniting the country, and he just compared millions of Americans to segregationists and traitors. I'm sorry, but there's, meandering doesn't even, it doesn't even do it justice. That is the worst record, a first-year record of any president possibly in American history, certainly within my lifetime. There is no, even if he gave a brilliant press conference, there's nothing you can say to make up for that reality. Here's more from Van Jones, Cut 21. So I think the real challenge that you have is the numbers are out there that are bad, but this party has got to come together and start putting some wins on the board for this president. Uh, they, they, they either got to start, they're going to either hang together or they're going to hang separately in the fall. So, so what Van Jones is not saying because he's to the left, although I think he's a very smart guy, uh, and I do appreciate the times he yep. just tells the truth when, when he's not in yep. campaign Absolutely. mode. Absolutely, I agree with you. Yeah, and, and that's what he believes. That's fine. You know, I you know that I don't. No one has to agree with me or you. We just want to hear what you have to say and, and call it as you see it. If Trump had a yep. bad press conference, Mark Thiessen would tell it and you would say it and write about it. But having said all that, this is what's interesting to Van Jones. Drill down on what he said. Either you go up to Joe Manchin and do what Bill Clinton told you to do, and say, Joe, what would you pass? Kristen Cinema, what would you pass? Write it up and get your party to pass it and get them to suck it up and bite down on a towel of whiskey and, and just pass it. Or you find you run you primary those two and try for something better in twenty twenty four or twenty twenty two. Because or- they are controlling the party now. And it's up to you to tell the left that you can't manufacture all these votes. It doesn't happen. So you can't be FDR without FDR-like majorities, right? You, 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 he, he, FDR had massive majorities that he could, he could ram through anything, practically anything he wanted through Congress. Joe Biden has a 50-50 Senate. That is not a mandate to be FDR. That's a mandate for compromise. That's a mandate for bipartisanship. So the solution to what Van Jones is talking about is do what you actually said you would do, which is unite the country, compromise, work across the aisle, and get things done. Like, for example— you know, the, the first thing we talked about, the COVID relief bill, you know, he said yesterday, I, the, what I didn't expect was that Republicans would be so obstructionist, that they would stand in the way that not one Republican would diverge on any major issue. I'm sorry, did you see the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which, by the way, he did everything in his power to undermine? Screwed it. He yeah. threatened to veto it. He, he told Democrats in the House to take it hostage. But it was also, keep in mind, in his first week in office, Ten Senate Republicans led by Susan Collins came to him and said, we want to negotiate with you on a, on a bipartisan COVID relief bill. Donald Trump passed five bipartisan COVID relief bills. This is not hard to pass a bipartisan COVID relief bill. He said, no, we're going alone. We're going to pass $1.9 trillion without you. We don't need your votes. That was his first act in office. Then he almost screws that up. The Congress passed a major China bill 
this summer, right? Yep. To, to deal with the semiconductor crisis, to deal with the supply chain crisis, to take on China's technology abuses and all the rest of it. It passed the Senate, I think, like 68 to 30 or something like that. Nancy Pelosi is holding it up in the House. Why doesn't he tell Nancy Pelosi pass the friggin' China bill? Absolutely. And let me send it. He, gotcha. he, the and, answer is bipartisanship. The answer is try to do what you promise, which is unite the country, not divide us. Yep, uh, that would get the independence back and would, would create a nightmare for Republicans. But so far, the Joe Biden's made it easy to have he's a, a have blood bill. He's going to have to do bill. it because he's going yeah. to lose at least one House of Congress and then he's going to be forced to do it. So right. might as well start now. Mark Thiessen, <laughs> I it really felt I helped you therapeutically uh, get through this. You needed to talk. <laughs> And I'm always there for you. You're so my therapist, man, you, every week on Thursday. Right. We do have a copay. And I'll, I'll remind you in the break, there is a copay. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I felt frustration and irritation rising in my souls as I keep hearing the references to Jim Crow. I ask myself how many Americans understand what Jim Crow was. Don't lecture me about Jim Crow. I know this is not 1965. That's what makes me so outraged. It's 2022 and they're blatantly removing more polling places from the counties where black and Latinos are overrepresented. That is not true in Texas and in Georgia. And they were upset that drive-through voting is banned. It should be. We should not have drive-through voting. We can't have drop boxes everywhere. They're brand new for the 2020 camp of, excuse me, the voting because of the pandemic. Ryan, listen to WABC. Hey, Ryan. All right, Brian and uh, everybody out there in America, hello. Um, let's face it. Let's take the rhetoric of the left and throw it in the uh, East River or the Hudson River here in the Hudson Valley. Folks, you got to go after the hard left. you got to take from them what is the dearest to them. Don't fall for the rhetoric of the right or the left because they're fronts for the establishment. Take away the 65 Immigration Act that rebuilt the Democratic Party, the hard left. Take away illegal immigration. You don't hear anybody talking about deporting the people that are running across the border because secretly a lot of them agree with it. Race quotas got to be pulled out, folks, by the roots. This is what you got to do. Big, juicy welfare program. Ryan, I don't know a single Republican that is for what's happening at the border. I, I don't. I mean, I don't care if you're as moderate as Mitt Romney or as uh, conservative as Jim Jordan. It is a just anti-American. And for the president to allow that is it's crazy. Uh, nuts. And for us comparing all this other stuff between Booker and Scott is embarrassing. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 866 We're going to have a big hour coming to you from New York and around the country, around the world. Senator Bill Haggerty is standing by. Got to get his take on what's happening over in Russia. Obviously, people are really concerned uh, minute by minute uh, and the ramifications of the president's uh, speech. Uh, wide-ranging. Went for almost two hours. Then Congressman uh, Mike Gallagher about that. So uh, keep in mind, the president, excuse me, the secretary of state will meet with the German foreign minister today and tomorrow with 
Foreign Minister Lavrov of Russia. And I just keep on going back to Alexei Navalny, who's the exiled, who's now in jail because he's against Vladimir Putin, says that he's a bully. Every time you give a bully a meeting, it's like an underclassman kissing up to the uh, to the upperclassmen. You should not feel as though that you'd be subservient to Russia. And he's a guy who's Russian. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. But we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. Yeah. Government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. And no longer criminalize anyone who chooses not to wear one. Yeah, here we go again. Thank goodness Boris Johnson got in some political trouble. He said, we well, have been waiting for the U.S. to say in the U.K., Drop the mandates, drop the masks requirements, get back to work. Starbucks, we're dropping their vax mandate for their employees because they ran out of employees. What about nurses and doctors next? Number two. Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having to fight about what to do and not do, etc., yeah, uh, I didn't overpromise, but I have probably uh, outperformed what everybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is we're in a situation where we have enormous progress. Yes, incursions unavoidable. Now, thanks to the inevitable, I look for Russia to make a move, sadly. And can we please get them lethal weapons? Number one. I didn't overpromise, and but I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where we have made enormous progress. Can you think of any other president's done as much in one year? Name one for me. How about 43? I just don't have the time. Uh, that was the president's presser yesterday. Congratulations on endurance. Congratulations on preparation. On terms of content, that's where you get a D minus. Joining me now to offer his grades and more is uh, Senator Bill Haggerty. He's on the Foreign Relations Committee, Appropriations and Rules uh, Center from Tennessee. Welcome back, Senator. Welcome. Great to be back with you, Brian. Good morning. Well, uh, first off, Senator, what do you think of the speech yesterday and probably the biggest mistake that they walked back almost immediately, and that was to say essentially uh, an incursion's okay by Russia? Yeah, yeah that, that was very painful, Brian, to watch this. And a minor incursion, I'm sure that uh, Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un and, of course, Vladimir Putin's watching this. They're all running to their dictionaries to find out exactly what that means they can do. Because that was a pretext to uh, an excuse. It was essentially an invitation. Uh, you know, I, I think Zelensky came back right away and said, look, a minor incursion isn't minor if you're the receiving country. And we certainly don't take any incursion uh, as, as anything other than what it is. And that's an act of war. Uh, it's just amazing how this administration continues to pivot toward weakness. You know, it's, it's all about uh, undoing the previous administration's policies, even though those policies were working. And, you know, he talked about what are Republicans for? We're for everything that this guy has destroyed. We're for strong borders. We're for energy independence. We're not for inflation. We're for responsible financing of the government. We're certainly for a strong America and with respect to our, our allies and teaching our adversaries that we will stand strong. What we've seen from the Biden administration is just failure after failure after failure. And my colleagues yesterday in the Senate floor were calling on the success they had delivered with their $1.9 trillion COVID pandemic relief package. Well, I've been looking for the test kits. I've been looking for the therapies. They aren't there. I've got rampant inflation now. Warned about that at the time they did this, Brian. 
and now we're seeing inflation levels that we haven't seen in 40 years. That's a tax on every American. This is what the administration has delivered, and Biden's trying to call that a success. It was unbelievable. Well, there's $5.6 trillion already spent on this pandemic, and I think there's a trillion left over, and yet they're asking for more to get us through this Omicron. You're not going to give more, are you? Absolutely not. We need to have some accountability here, a lot of accountability. How in the world could we have delivered a vaccine at our Operation Warp Speed at the pace that we did in the previous administration? And this administration can't even get masks and tests into stores and available to, to, to people. They've not been focused on therapies whatsoever. In fact, they've been trying to discount therapies to force people into vaccination lines. Uh, it, it's just reprehensible what they've done. People are suffering. Biden has had more deaths on his watch with a vaccine and with all of this money than President Trump did without a vaccine. Good point. Uh, this is what I found most offensive about last night, cut 16, on Afghanistan. And does he have regrets? Listen. There is no way to get out of Afghanistan after 20 years easily. Not possible, no matter when you did it. And I make no apologies for what I did. Had we stayed and I had not pulled those troops out, we would be asked to put somewhere between twenty and 50,000 more troops back in. Because the only reason more Americans weren't being killed than others is because the last president signed an agreement to get out by May the 1st. We know that's not true because even during the surge, they didn't have that many troops in there. Remember, President Obama was pulling them out before they were even all back in. So twenty and 50,000 troops? What do you think about that statement and the fact the Americans left behind are still there? Oh, it, it, it's just awful. And you, you and I have talked about Afghanistan before, Brian. This is probably the greatest smear on America's reputation that any of us have seen in our lifetime. Right after this happened, right after Kabul, Kabul fell, right after we lost those 13 American servicemen and women, I flew over to London. I flew over to, to, to Brussels. I met with our allies in the U.K. first. They were crushed that we had done what we had done. In fact, I couldn't meet with the foreign minister because he was in the process of stepping down. But I met with the defense minister. I met with my counterpart on the Foreign Relations Committee, my counterpart on their their Armed Services Committee. Uh, They were so upset. In fact, I remember one of my counterparts there. He he was just furious, Brian. He said, look, I am a veteran. I served in Afghanistan. I served alongside Afghan soldiers who gave their lives. The reason they aren't fighting is because you pulled the backbone out of their operation, gave them no air cover. And that is what they depended on. That's what they were trained for. And your president is calling them cowards. He said, I just cannot believe this. And, you know, their foreign minister stepped down to take responsibility. The Dutch foreign minister stepped down to take responsibility. And there is no one in this administration that's taken responsibility. In fact, Biden's trying to claim it was a success. It was a massive failure that emboldened our adversaries. And again, has made our allies question our And, our and by the, what I thought it was also... A none of force error. They never communicated with NATO directly that we were pulling out. They were finding out about this on news reports and then decided exactly. only to take the airport. But it was the U.K., Australians and the Dutch that were going outside the airport to get their people back, not us. Now, I was told by official over the weekend that that's not true. We did send them out. I go, well, publicly you said you weren't. And I heard that you weren't from other people there who wanted to go out and were expressing frustration. But I had to go with the administration official who was going out of their way to tell me I was wrong and too harsh on them when it comes to Afghanistan. I wonder if I can, Senator, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Brian, when I got to Brussels, I met with the NATO ambassadors from Turkey, 
from Germany, from Italy, and from the UK. Those are the folks that have the on-the-ground forces there. You should have seen how angry they were. They were surprised. They were you know, totally left behind. Uh, they felt completely ripped off by the United States of America, whom they had depended upon, completely embarrassed back home. And they're the ones that are more proximate to the threat that's been created because we've now created a massive void over there that's going to attract terrorism. We've armed them with $80 billion worth of equipment, and we're going to have – and they made this point very clearly to me – we're going to have a humanitarian crisis of massive proportions because people are going to be fleeing the Taliban and they're going to be coming across borders and flooding their economies at a time when they're trying to get over the pandemic. They're trying to get their economy started back. It's going to be very, very painful there. And it is. And they're starving to death, which is in a difficult spot. We were 80 percent of their economy and left. Taliban are brutal. But there's innocent people just dying, selling their kids in order to survive. Why he gets a pass on this, I don't know. But the good news is the American people have standards, independents, and some Democrats and all Republicans. They're not letting him forget it. His numbers have not recovered. Can you bring me to yes. yesterday's vote, two votes, one on blowing up the filibuster and number two on voting for uh, voting nationalizing elections in the John Lewis bill? First off, I thought it was noteworthy, two people saving our democracy to a degree is Kirsten Sinema. We got her speech the other day. And Joe Manchin, here he is, cut 38. For the last year, my Democratic colleagues have taken to the Senate floor cable news airwaves, pages of newspapers across the country, uh, and to argue that repealing the filibuster is actually restoring the Senate to the vision of the founding fathers intended for this deliberate body. My friends, that is simply not true. It's just not true. The United States Senate has never in 233 years been able to end debate on legislation with a simple majority vote. With a simple majority vote, have never been able to end, end debate. Could not stop a debate. And he just said, I'm, I'm not voting for blowing up the filibuster. He'll be looked at as, as a Democratic hero in two years if things go the way they are, because you guys will be in the majority and the filibuster will be in place. Senator, what is your take on Manchin and Cinema? Well, I appreciate the fact that they had the backbone to stand up and do what 30 other of their colleagues had uh, you know, pleaded with, with, with the Republicans back in 2017 not to do. They, they, 32 of them, all signed a letter pleading with the Republicans not to blow up the filibuster because President Trump was urging the same thing. Presidents want to get their agenda through. And that's what Biden is pushing for. He wants to get his agenda through, but it's a very short-term perspective. Republicans didn't didn't go along with it. Again, 32 Democrats said it would be the end of the Senate were that to happen in 2017 when Republicans had control of the White House, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. Suddenly, 30 of them all have to change their mind. So I appreciate the fact that uh, Senator Sinema and Manchin held to their uh, held to their original position, and I've really got to wonder. Uh, how those other 30 senators look themselves in the mirror this morning. So what do you think? The president says, I'm going to go back and do pieces of Bill Back Better. How, would, how does that look? Uh, I have no idea what he's talking about. Again, that press conference yesterday was extraordinarily hard to follow. And what he's talking about is, I think, just trying to message that he's not giving up. But he's failed again and again and again. And it was amazing that he had that press conference to try to take credit for the failures of his first year in office and to talk about a reset, a pivot for, for this coming year where he's going to be talking more to the American people. Well, the Senate handed him yet another failure last night. 
his Democrat colleagues handed him yet another failure. Why Chuck Schumer brought that up when he knew he didn't have the votes. Kamala Harris was there to preside over the Senate. She left. She didn't want to be there uh, for, for the disaster. I think Biden has become so toxic and he just doesn't realize it. He said he's going to be out campaigning for Democrats in 2022. Well, I watched the fact that Stacey Abrams didn't show up in Georgia. She didn't want to be seen on the stage with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris last week. That's how toxic these guys have become. So I think he is in a downward spiral. This pivot, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I, you know, I tell you, this has been a massive failure of administration. That's what Joe Biden should have taken credit for. More catastrophes in a year than any other president in history. That's what he should have been taking credit for. Here, here he is saying what's going to be coming down. He thinks Build Back Better will get inflation under control. Cut 14. It's clear to me that uh, um, that we're going to have to uh, probably uh, break it up. Um, I think that we can get, and I've been talking to a number of my colleagues on the Hill, I think it's, it's clear that we would be able to get support for the for the $500 plus billion for uh, energy and the environmental issues that are there. So that's what Bill Clinton told him to do. Find out what Manchin will go with, uh, put that in, and run on the rest. I mean, that's what you usually, by the way, that's kind of how politics goes. You don't just, just yeah. sit there and keep saying the same thing like Rain Man over and over again without even <laughs> trying to make calls about the other people. Now, let me ask you this politically. We know how tight this, the Senate race is going to be. And we know that the most vulnerable are known to be Senator Warnock, Senator Hassan, Senator Kelly, and Senator Mastro, Mastro of, uh, of Nevada. They were forced yep. to go on the record saying we want to blow up the filibuster and vote for this voting, voting rights reform. That is going to hurt them. With independence, I imagine. Does Chuck Schumer sure. realize that, or, or am I off? Well, he just doesn't care. And back to the politics of it, let's watch this all the way up till the end of June, because that's when Chuck Schumer's New York primary takes place. That's what this is about. And he doesn't mind making those four senators walk the plank just so he can make certain that he's not going to get a primary from the likes of AOC. That's what this is about. He knew that he was going to fail, but he wanted to be able to go down fighting and prove to his primary you know, base, the, the hard left radicals up in New York, that he was going to do anything, even destroy the Senate to accomplish their agenda. That's what this is about, Brian. Chuck Schumer's primary is what's driving this. And the fact that he doesn't care to protect uh, vulnerable members of his own conference, I think, tells you a lot. Senator Haggerty, uh, he's, uh, he's on the Foreign Relations Committee, man. You got your hands full. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Always great to be with you, Brian. Thank right. you. Uh, so that's the story. Uh, when it comes to foreign policy, for the most part, it's nonpartisan. They had a bipartisan group go over to Ukraine over the weekend. Excuse me, they just got back a couple of days ago. So uh, everyone's worried about it. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Busy day. We're keeping up with it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden is accusing Republicans who want things like voter ID and who don't want ballot harvesting of impeding our elections. And that if we don't give the Democrats their election takeover bill, then the elections won't be legitimate. That is exactly what Joe Biden has been accusing us and accusing the former president of doing in 2016 and 2020. And Kamala Harris tried to walk that back and make, it made no sense of it because, as Ari Fleischer told me, he said, it doesn't matter what, what the vice president said. The president said 
there, there's doubt on the 2022 elections. Now, compound that theoretically, President just musing about that, to the fact is, in this country right now, Republicans are much more popular than Democrats. In this country, he has a, a we have a president with 33 to 40 percent approval rating. People think 68 percent think we're on the wrong track. If I gave any election expert those numbers, they would say, the opposing party, not in power, is going to have a huge 2022. And if nothing else happens from here substantially, it'll be a huge 2022. Will the president of the United States get up there and say, because we didn't pass election reform, we took a shellacking today and we lost 70 seats in the House and we've lost control of the Senate. That's all because uh, Republicans did not pass my election reform, which means 45 percent of the country will say they cheated. And if you are upset about Donald Trump saying, I really won, ignoring 2016 when Hillary Clinton said, I have high suspicions, and without the Russians, she would have won, and Stacey Abrams saying that Brian Kemp cheated and she should have won, you got to be upset about what happened yesterday. Because you're talking about a midterm election. You're talking about hundreds and hundreds of elections, little elections, big districts, small districts, big statewide races, small statewide races. Get ready. It's going to be decided by one or two Senate seats. Hand goes up. Told you. Republicans are racist. When we come back, Congressman Mike Gallagher on the challenges that still lay ahead. He's on the Armed Services Committee. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm not so sure he has certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. And by the way, I've indicated to him the two things he said to me that he wants, guarantees them. One is Ukraine will never be part of NATO. And two, that NATO or the there will not be strategic weapons stationed in Ukraine. So that is uh, pretty astounding uh, to think that he would make a statement like that. And they tried to walk it back. The vice president tried to clarify to no avail. And right now you have the president of the Ukraine, uh, the foreign minister both weighing in, saying there's no such thing as basically a small incursion. Uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, one of the smartest men in Washington, he's on the infrastructure on uh, Transportation Committee, but more importantly for this context, the Armed Services Committee. Congressman, uh, all eyes are on the Ukraine right now. And I I wanted to put in context with the with the, the gravity of the president's remarks last night are to you. Well, I think what we saw last night uh, from the president of the United States, beyond just a, a further signal of weakness uh, to the world, is what I would describe as a, a Dean Acheson moment. If you remember, um, in the late 40s, early 50s, there's, there was a, a famous moment right prior to the, the Korean War where Dean Acheson infamously drew a security perimeter and excluded Korea from it and basically said the signal to our enemies. And at that time, it was a combination of the North Koreans, the communist Chinese, as well as the Soviets, saying, it's game on. You, you can, you can uh, go for a minor incursion into South Korea, because uh, we won't do anything about it. And obviously it resulted in a war that cost millions of lives. And so similarly from the president yesterday, we saw a signal of weakness, essentially sending the signal that we're not prepared to do what's necessary to defend Ukraine or help Ukraine defend itself 
and push back against Russian aggression. And this administration seems wedded to a framework where they're threatening punishment after the fact. How do you deter Russia if your entire strategy is to say, we're going to slap sanctions on you after you invade, after you've achieved your objective, we're going to do some pretty mean things to you. That doesn't work, okay? Putin feels like he has the measure of this administration and feels like he can get, he can get away with this. And I can't help but think that's because Putin watched this administration completely bungle the withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, which is an, an unmitigated disaster and continues to have a detrimental impact on our deterrent posture globally. I want you to hear Stephen Miller's evaluation about what he saw and what he heard and didn't hear. Cut 17. Joe Biden spoke for two hours and he spent all of his time focusing on the wrong border, which is Ukraine's border and not America's southern border. Let's be very clear. What's happening on our southern border today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that is getting Americans killed, killed with drugs, killed with gangs, killed with crime. And as much as I, you, you and I have focused on the Ukraine, he's right, isn't he? Well, the southern border is an absolute disaster. I mean, this is one of the first things Biden did via executive order was to tear up all of former President Trump's progress on the southern border, get rid of the remain in Mexico policy, and basically set the signal that, hey, the border's open. I mean, you get administration officials telling people almost explicitly, now's a good time to come across. So we have a complete fiasco on our hands on the southern border. And I would say to you, Brian, uh, you know, I, I represent northeast Wisconsin. Obviously, you know, the border that's close to us is the Canadian border. But we have crime and death and killings related to drug cartel activity, even in northeast Wisconsin. So the, the lack of security on the southern border affects us up in the Midwest. This is not something we can ignore. It jeopardizes our national security as well as our economic security. And he's right to bring up the drug issue. I mean, fentanyl is just killing thousands and thousands of Americans. And that's not just a problem with the drug cartels in Mexico. That's also a problem with the Chinese Communist Party turning a blind eye to fentanyl production and the way in which this stuff is shipped almost at times directly through our postal system into the United States across our border. I want to keep on foreign policy and just pivot over to China. Our Olympic athletes are going there for February, February 4th games. It looks like NBC is not even sending broadcasters, so the chance of them doing a real expose on the, on the modern-day Holocaust, which is taking place with the Muslim Uyghurs, is right now even more remote. And they're warning athletes not to speak out and say anything controversial when they're there. We've already have a diplomatic boycott. Should we go further? I don't. I also, at the same time, as I say that, I'm thinking about the downhill skier and the speed skater who just live for this moment and train for these moments. So I, I'm actually fighting against that question. But still, in the better, is it better for our nation to walk away? Well, as much as I would have favored a, a more aggressive boycott, that's something that needed to be implemented a long time ago. You know, we have athletes that are getting ready to go. So while I still favor it, I think the question is, what can we do now that's realistic? One thing that I think makes sense, I've introduced legislation uh, called uh, a piece of legislation called the Free Peng Shui Act, which would require Magnitsky sanctions on the International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach and any other IOC officials who've helped the CCB cover up Peng's disappearance. Now, I know that's a separate issue than the Winter Olympics specifically, but in both cases, we have the IOC basically acting as useful idiots for the Chinese Communist Party. And right now, separate from the Olympics, we have tennis players gathered for the Australian Open 
And one individual who's noticeably missing is Chinese tennis, tennis star Peng Shui. So there are things we can do to continue to call out the absolute lack of leadership uh, and cravenness of the IOC, as well as, I think, ask hard questions of American businesses who maintain their sponsorship of this Olympic, uh, Olympics. At the same time, they continue to lecture Americans about, you know, holding the all-star game in Georgia or supporting states where Republican legislatures are passing, uh, you know, common sense voter reform uh, provisions like, like voter ID requirements. So I think there still is a lot we can do to call out the hypocrisy as well as shine a light on the egregious human rights abuses of the Chinese Communist Party. But I completely take your point about not wanting to punish uh, the athletes. But the bigger thing here is we don't want to allow our foremost adversary to pocket this massive propaganda victory and then turn around after this, after they pocketed this, and start increasing their aggression against Taiwan, which I guarantee you is what's going to happen, particularly after the 20th Party Congress meets and she gets his third term and effectively installs himself as dictator for life. I think you're right, and I also think there's they even have a game plan. It is to take some of the surrounding islands one by one, and then you say to yourself, what island do we actually put our foot down and say that's enough? Uh, but Taiwan would fight back. Ukraine will fight back. These, these um, so-called bullies, they don't want to fight. They want to steamroll. So the Ukrainians are much better equipped now. We have to say that. But why is it taking so long for us to get lethal, uh, more lethal weapons to them? We pledged $200 million. When? After the Russians have occu- uh, occupied their capital? Uh, lastly, I just want to bring you to uh, what's happening here uh, domestically. And that's the President of the United States said this about Republicans. Cut to. One of the things that I think is something that uh, one thing I haven't been able to do so far is get my Republican friends to get in the game of making things better in this country. Anyone on? Cut three. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. Think about this. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. Maybe you can help them. Yeah, here's what we're for. We're for keeping schools open and not masking small elementary school children so they can actually get a good education. We're for helping socioeconomically disadvantaged kids who are trapped in terrible public school systems where the teachers unions have held our children hostage in order to get more money from state and federal governments. We're for safe neighborhoods where families don't have to fear that their physical safety is in danger because the other party has spent the last two years demonizing the cops and supporting dangerous policies like defund the police. So we're for law and order. We're for law enforcement. We're for a border that you can actually control so we don't have illegal immigration. And to tie to what we've been talking about, Brian, what I know you care deeply about, we are for peace through strength. We're for the idea that when America stands tall, does not back down in the face of threats, whether it's from the Iranians, terrorist groups, the Taliban, Russia, and certainly not China, when America stands tall, our allies will listen, but our, our threats need to be backed by hard power, by credible military deterrent. And, and Republicans still stand for Reagan's basic concept of peace through strength. And unfortunately, this president has proven that he stands for the opposite 
of all of those things, if he's even able to stand at all. And you would have had Republicans with him. You would have been at the White House. Guys, how do we work this out together? Let's be on the same page as this. Let's show the world we can act as one, and that would help keep our men and women safe. And instead, there's no calls, there's this reaction, and an endless hunt to find out information before the other side does. You had a bipartisan Senate committee go over there. You had congressmen go over there on both sides of the aisle. This would have been an opportunity for the so-called moderate to bring people together, but we're not seeing that. Uh, And, you know, Congressman, it's good news for the Republican Party, but it's bad news for our country. It's going to be a long three years. Final thought? Yeah, it's absolutely right. And, um, you know, I just hope the the president's team sold this as a reset yesterday, but it wasn't a reset. They're tripling down on these lies, the lies that Republican legislatures are racist, they're passing voter suppression laws. They need to back away from this. It's not too late to change course. Uh, we, we can turn this around, but the president needs to stop with the lies and the gaslighting of the American people. And otherwise, they're just going to get crushed in the midterms. Um, but American national security will suffer more. I hear you, Congressman. Uh, it's always great to talk to you. Mike Gallagher, thank you. Thank you. All right. When we come back, uh, we'll find out if there's indeed more to know and take some calls. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You said that it depends. Um, do you do you think that they would in any way be illegitimate? Oh, yeah, I think it easily can be, be illegitimate. Imagine, imagine if, in fact, Trump has succeeded in convincing Pence to not count the votes. Uh, imagine I, if... In regards to 2022, sir, the midterm Oh, 2022. Election. I mean, uh, uh, imagine if those uh, attempts to say that uh, the count was not legit. You have to recount it, and we're not going to count. We're going to discard the following votes. I mean, sure, it was... It, it, I'm not saying it's going to be legit. It's the increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these these reforms passed. Yeah, they're holding into that erroneous line that the, the elections are corrupt unless they pass the John Lewis bill, which is insane. Uh, and he's holding on to that. And why would he go ahead and say something as irresponsible, even as a candidate, let alone a president? You're all over Trump for saying that, Stacey Abrams for not acquiescing. She doesn't even answer the question anymore. Hillary Clinton constantly postulating what would happen without the so-called Russian influence, which she was manufactured and paid for. Now we all know that. And then he does the same thing. And I just hope these other outlets call him on the carpet on this. Barry, listening in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry. Yeah, I'm very disappointed in Fox News and Peter Ducey. How did if if Mitt Romney if 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 COVID hit eight years ago and Mitt Romney had blamed 200,000 deaths on Barack Obama, followed that up by saying he should not remain in office. And how many times would have the press questioned Mitt Romney on that? Every day. But, but, you know, Barry, in defense of Peter, I mean, one question, if he was even allowed to follow up, they could have went to that that direction. But, I mean, one question, you try, and they did ask. So I'm looking at the tally here. The one question most often asked about the topic, COVID-19. So I think he probably felt, I have to pivot a little bit because no one else is going to say left-wing agenda, you know. 
But it is. It, I mean, for he, the next time he sits down with any type of challenging interviewer, you just play that. You read it verbatim and make him answer that. Because not only, Barry, did he say it, this guy called out Trump, said he shouldn't be president. He had a vaccine with a million shots already in arms, and he still doubled them and missed two variants, even though we knew what it was, we knew where it came from, and we knew variants were inevitable. He didn't order tests that Donald Trump's administration came up with. You're 100% right. Um, I'm just wondering if there's even more to know. Do you know, Eric? More to know. Let's talk a little football. TV ratings for the NFL wildcard game increased 21%. This is pretty amazing because none of the, only actually two games were okay. The rest weren't even competitive. The six games averaged 30.5 million viewers. CBS and Nickelodeon broadcast of the 49er game. Their 23-17 victory over the Cowboys led the weekend with 41 million people. The audience peaked at 50 million for the conclusion. We know the controversy at the end with garbage being thrown at the referees. The first Monday night wildcard game, pretty impressive too. 23.2 million, ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, and the ESPN Deportes, making it the most watched Sunday night football game ever. You know who was not happy? Who? The NBA, because they own Martin Luther King Day, and uh. they got swamped at night. They usually play all day and night. But that isn't that, aren't those numbers amazing? They are, but my question, looking at the, the CBS and Nickelodeon, right, how they do all, like, the slime effects, I mean, is, do they need to do more of them, right, because then they're bringing in more kids to watch? I think so. I think that they're, they're big, their other big problem is kids aren't playing football. Mm-hmm. Participation is down. But that doesn't necessarily mean they don't become fans. I worry about kids in sports and fans, and that's why I should probably come up with a series for that. Oh, wait, I did. Next. NBC will not be sending its announcers and most of the hosts of the Beijing Olympics due to continued concerns over COVID-19. Maybe they'll be hostages. Quote, something significant has changed virtually every day for the last three months, forcing us to adjust our numerous times. And the sad thing is I speculated I don't think they're going to do any journalism over there either. Let's see what happens to somebody if they're a Uyghur. But if, Let's see what happens if you were caught saying the wrong thing on a social media device. I mean, my question, though, is this just a convenient excuse for NBC as to why they're Could not be. sending people over? Well, we didn't have people there to cover it anyway because we were so scared about COVID. Right. And also, uh, you have somebody there who's going, wait a second. You locked up 15 million people because there were six cases? Yeah. 15 million people? Next. Did you see the one story, too, as an aside? CBS had it. They literally welded the door shut of a ma- one man suspected of having it. Unbelievable. But, Eric, you know the rules. If she interrupts, we have to swish again. Sorry about that, country. Uh, Britney Spears says her dad took over $36 million during conservatorship. How much did she make? $36 million? She we- made a lot. Wow. He says you cease and desist from referencing Britney derogatory through that promotional campaign. This is going to DMZ. The singer had hit her sister, Jamie Lee, with the cease and desist because she's talking bad about Britney. I think this whole situation is just so sad. I mean, like, her music's very popular, but I, she needs help. I mean, and people just, like, love to follow her and love the drama. Let's just see Let's just see what she does in an interview. Uh, John Stewart will be the recipient of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Mark Twain Prize for Humor. He writes, quote, in response to this prestigious award he's going to get in April, I have long admired and been influenced by the work, the work of Mark Twain, or, as he was known by his given name, Samuel Leibowitz. Because you know that John Stewart's real name is Leibowitz. I actually did not know that. That makes it even funnier. Past recipients include Jonathan Winters, Carl Reiner, Lily Tomlin, Bob Newhart. Listen, I don't agree with much of him politically, but no one touches him. I think he's political commentary, unbelievably smart. I agree. I wish he was out there a little bit more, right? His Apple series isn't getting much traction, right? 
I don't think so. I think it's, is it, uh, yeah, it's Apple, not HBO. I think he's working on the burn pits, which should affect the president because he believes that Bo Biden got brain cancer from the burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan. Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.